Oh, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Good to see you, man. You too. Yeah, well, how's it been going? Man, to be honest, I'm just staying active. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty active dude, you know? And so I, uh, I've been riding bikes a lot with my son and my daughter. Uh, uh, dude, I did 18 miles the other day with my boy. It was crazy. Oh, nice. Nice. And I give him more credit because he's on a one-speed BMX, and I'm on a 10-speed beach cruiser. So we, hit, we don't have, like, crazy mountains around, but, like, some of our neighborhoods have incline after incline, you know, and down a little bit. And I was like, you can't – it's to the point to where you can't sit down and rot and pedal hard. You know, you would have to eventually stand up at certain points. So, uh, tough little dude. He's only eight. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, man, I've been staying super active, honestly. Um doing workouts running i've been doing a lot of running uh i got a bike plan uh, ride planned uh this professor buddy of mine i work with i've been going into like his garage and using his rowing machine when i when i can so man i've been i've been staying after it it's been super productive for me cool yeah i got, I got some dumbbells in the garage uh i i you know to each their own other opinions on, on doing super secret ninja training and training uh during quarantine and then there's and then there's people like myself not just because of opinion and stuff too but uh just lack of training partners and then other people's opinions you know sometimes uh so i haven't trained since march 12th wow because march 14th was a saturday and i was doing fight to win pro and so i was mid-weight cut on thursday yeah because friday was way in saturday's the 14th so like thursday i was already cutting weight like seven pounds and then i was gonna weigh in friday i was gonna cut another five and uh yeah you know that's when the travel ban happened and then and then set the inside so yeah did you guys have um that european event scheduled did that get was that gonna come up and you had to cancel that was, that was a massive bummer <laughs> sorry yes. dude sorry to get right into the bad stuff no, I know I've talked a lot. Like some people, to be honest, I haven't talked too much. Like I've talked about me canceling tournaments, but I haven't had a chance to really like tell my side of the story. So far, I, I have the AGF podcast, you know, and I'm like, I'm basically just interviewing people, you know, and and some of my jujitsu lineage or uh, not lineage, but training history techniques, blah blah blah, and then experience with AGF. Well, what's going on in coronavirus? Like sometimes that'll come out in my podcast but in reality it's about them you know what i mean but like yeah, if you want to talk about agf dude, we got wrecked by this thing <laughs> you know like, yeah i mean it was pretty rough yeah uh that was agf luxembourg march 28th um it was it's a small little country by france germany uh the netherlands belgium it's a little like Rhode Island size type country, you know what I mean? In Europe, but uh, it's a cool little spot and it's next to Cologne, Germany. It's next to Frankfurt. Uh, it's three hours from the far side of Belgium. So you'll still get like Brussels and all the, all the main Ghent and Antwerp. You'll get those cities to come to it. We had like 400, I forget the numbers. It's been a while, but we had like 400 people. That's awesome, man. Wow. And 
I was, and that was before the final week of registration where we really get numbers. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, dude. So, uh, that was going to be a cool event for sure. So, yeah, it's a bummer. But uh, I have personally, I have affiliates in Belgium. Uh, my first European black belt is uh, Bert Van Hastelen. He's in Bruges, Belgium. A lot of Americans haven't heard of it, but Colin Farrell made a movie called In Bruges. And so it gave that town a little bit of fame in Belgium. And, uh, anyways, so. They right now are the worst in Europe in terms of like viruses and stuff. Like Belgium was on top of the list for a while. I don't I don't follow the daily daily every single day on who's on top of the list, but I know for a while Belgium was on top of the list. And so they're all like, you know, super locked down. They're talking about gyms not opening until twenty twenty one. You know, stuff like that. You know, like there's a lot of stuff. I mean, if you look at all of our professional sports in America, we did that. No yeah. more. Oh people. yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, but this is like small men's their their business is different, but it's still a business, you know? Like there uh, have you been to Europe much at all or no? I have not been to Europe. Not not yet. Been to Mexico uh, a few times. I was one of the things I want to talk to you about later is your travels, man. I know you've been all over and I I, I had some questions marked down to ask you, but um, sure. I haven't I know I haven't been to Europe very much. Uh, or at all, but uh, it's definitely on the bucket list, man. Since teaching history, I got a a, a checklist of places I want to go. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, what were you saying, man? Um, about uh, about Europe? What were we, what were we talking about? Uh, well, the business is different over there. Like the the. Uh way of life in terms of like the gyms and businesses like so uh in america we have 6 a.m class 9 a.m class 12 o'clock you know at different gyms not everyone offers day classes but like it's a predominant thing in america now that we offer that it's also very very common for people like myself i i don't know you 100 percent, but i assume that you a hundred percent of your income comes from the martial arts. Are you all in the martial arts? Do you have a second day job? I Luckily, dude, I have a master's degree in history and I teach college full time, oh, awesome. full time, which is like 25 hours a week uh, or less. And um, it's like all online right now because of the pandemic. So fortunately I got that going on too. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, and that's like core and I, that's pretty much what, all we got going on. Yeah, right. Well, I know I had seen you on uh, social media getting going through schooling and stuff like that. That was awesome. Some people, I don't know if you don't know if they just, some people just pursue schooling in general, you know what I mean? But uh, that's awesome. But uh, what I was saying though is in Europe, there's not as many people do jujitsu for a living and not just jujitsu, but like, and I, and without a second job, you know, uh, and without like, uh, and that includes like uh, Muay Thai, MMA, like the scene is totally different over there in terms of like the business like that. So they also have sport halls, which are like, uh, you'll have like a restaurant bar, like literally in the middle where the parents can hang out. And it's like a large restaurant. Like we order our, our uh, uh, food for AGS there and that kind of stuff. 
and they will have like indoor tennis courts and volleyball courts and they have a couple actually different games that we don't that look like volleyball slash basketball with a basket but it's not quite uh in the american culture at all it's a dutch belgian type thing and uh and it's co-ed actually it's a trip i forget the name of it but i'll look it up um anyways and so they'll have like that they'll have a weight room they'll have uh a, usually like a karate room or martial arts room a jiu-jitsu room showers locker rooms freaking i mean it's intense and almost every city has one of these right and and so like a lot of the people that i've known and and i've taught seminars at uh uh they're the jujitsu instructor rents out the mat space for the for the because i got to tommy mats basically right Mm -hmm. and so um you get a lot of those you know and so some guys may get a membership for what we call like 60 bucks for you know six months you may have some you have some guys who uh, charge 40 euros a month. Nobody's charging 150 euros a month to train just jiu-jitsu, bro. The kids is also different too. Like with AGF standards, um, we will have like a 80-20 jiu-jitsu tournament. We've really tried to capitalize on that. We try to, to do a little bit better with that. But uh, hold on, let me grab my coffee. Um, You're fine. You know, we try to do a little bit better with that, you know, but like, uh, it's their, it's their culture, not the, not just the sports culture, whatever. you know, so we'll have, what I mean by 80, 20 is like, we'll have, if we have a hundred competitors and we have eight of them adults, you know, and so it's like in America, it could be 50, 50 or the other way. It could be 70, 30 kids in some cities. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and that's a big factor. A lot of tournaments don't charge for spectator fees. It's an American thing. Uh, it's just different, man. It's different for sure. It's different logistics as well, too. Different languages as well. And then uh, uh, you, generally a lot of people speak English. To be honest, like the whole world speaks English, especially under like 30. But you will get some people, like I've had some people, especially from Poland. Like when I run AGF Berlin, Berlin is like, next to the border of Poland. And so like, we'll, we'll get a lot of Polish people. I had plans to go to Poland um, in the fall. <laughs> so, I mean, everything is slowed down because we can't even get info. We don't know people's guidelines. We don't know when they're reopening up. Um, but a lot of people, to be honest, you have a lot of countries doing their own thing, but a lot of people watch America. Mm-hmm. A lot of people watch America. It's a trip, but then, and then, and then Poland's got its own thing going on, but a lot of people don't realize, man, they got two day tournaments over there. So they got a lot of people doing jujitsu in Poland, bro. you know, man, how do you, how do you like, okay. So pandemic aside, you're, you're thinking about expanding into European markets, which is a very awesome mindset, man. But how do you, how do you get in the mindset to do that? Do you, do you just talk to your bite belts and your students over there in the association and start feeling out like, Oh, how do you, how's the culture? How do you guys do business here? Like, how do you even begin to approach? Like I'm going to do business, but it's going to be entirely different. But with my business, I do in America. Well, it's, 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 I'll be honest, dude, it's a mindset thing. And not, not to get all trippy on you. All right. But like, honestly, I believe in, in thought projection i'm a big oh, me too me too i'm a big person in thought projection and 
and then action, you know, like, so, you know, uh, I'm sitting there one day and I go, I want to run a tournament in Germany. That would be cool. Well, until I start messaging people and contacting facilities and seeing how much it costs and start seeing what the regulations are and the currency exchange, all you got to do is just put action to your thought, you know, a lot of people are, are dreamers, bro, but they don't put, but it's also, man, I don't know. It's weird, dude. I've always, I've always had like, uh, I've made life changes. I've made life, uh, uh, decisions. I've made, uh, 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 connections and gone to new places because of just thought projection. I mean, no joke. Like I wanted to go to Italy for a long time. I was studying Italian. Like I just had this thing, you know, like wanted to teach in Italy and I taught in Italy for five years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like it's not it's not saying psychic, it's not saying any of that. Where like, once you start putting, you know, just action to it, a lot of people just daydream about it, and then and then like, how serious are you about it? I'm I'm a different person though. I've traveled a lot. Uh, with uh, prior to AGF, I traveled more than any person pretty much that I've known to that's not a BJJ world champion. To be honest, like. It's not like some famous Gracie or some world champion, ultra famous person. Like I've taught in 21 countries. I've taught all, all over, you know what I mean? And so yeah. like, um, that's like, and if you meet people, you connect, you go to a set, like say I go to a seminar in, uh, for example, I taught a seminar in Belgium. And a dude from the Netherlands came and a dude from Germany came. And then they're like, oh, this dude's jiu-jitsu is cool. I like this guy because we kick it too. I think that's the other thing, you know, like I know my way around Europe. And so, and other parts of the country and I've just, not country, but uh, other parts of the world. And I know how to get around, I guess, you know, people don't mess with me. I'm heavily tattooed, <laughs> right? Because uh, I have an affiliate in the Caribbean in Trinidad and Tobago. That was actually my first uh, my first ever international seminar and stuff. And then uh, I ended up commentating MMA fights down there. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you going down there. I, I didn't connect with oh, us that you had an affiliate, but I've seen you post about going down there for years. That's my jam, bro. Um, I, I would consider myself like a low-key eccentric person, I guess. <laughs> right? Like you have a... I like different places as well too you know like uh one of my places that i go i got a european annual camp and it's one of my affiliates it's one of the coolest places i've ever been i had never heard of it prior to going there now europeans have but i had most americans have it. it's called madeira portugal it's an island if you, it, it in portuguese it means wood madeira right but it's closer to uh Morocco and Africa slightly more than it is Portugal. It's an island like way out there by itself. It's the home of Ronaldo, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer player. So they got like museums and statues for that dude. You know what I'm saying? The capital is Funchal. Uh, so I have a, I have a, an affiliate in Funchal and that's just, and it's just a dope place. And I'm like, I will keep coming back to this place for sure. You know? And then you make friends, you know, I've got friends all over over bro like that's what i love about jujitsu like in, in all of this all of my travels all of my relationships my like everything like everything is is 
based off of jujitsu. Even if it was some MMA fighter that I cornered, uh, if it was traveling because of jujitsu, if it was AGF, if it's like whatever, man, it's a trip. I get my car fixed sometimes through a jujitsu guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's a, it's this a, podcast is basically because of jujitsu connections, man. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it really is weird. Like I don't get that out of volleyball. You know, like I don't get that out of the. I think that there is a little bit of international travel and and national travel when it comes to other sports. Don't get me wrong, especially with select. Shoot, when I was a kid, I was born in 82, bro. When I, when I was a kid, you had, like, your little league, and then if you were good, you were on the All-Stars team, you know? And now it's, like, everyone's selected, plays year-round, and does private lessons. Like, every sport's crazy, bro. You know, you can play select soccer. If I go to tournament in Michigan, it's like, what? You're 11. <laughs> I know, man. Those travel teams are wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but in general, though, most of those sports and most people – stay local like my son and my daughter they play baseball and soccer and we don't travel out of state for that you know so a lot of those local teams still do that locally but in jujitsu bro people will be like yo i'm going to master worlds in vegas i'm going to agf in boston i'm going to uh, agf berlin i mean we had american dudes in amsterdam from agf from texas you know we had we've we've got people that follow us around and stuff you know and so it's like and then other tournaments, it's not just about AGF, it's about like just saying that like people will travel and make a weekend and do things because of jujitsu. In jujitsu, people will go on vacation and bring a gi. <laughs> you know? In there, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I just that's what's cool about the culture for AGF for sure. Not AGF, sorry, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, man, like let, let's talk about this right here. Like, what did you grow up in Southern California, right? Like, uh, yes, yes, yes. Your whole your whole childhood and teenage years spent there. It. Oh yeah, yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. Uh, now I know it sounds crazy, right? But like, if you know anyone that knows me, I, I do have some crazy stories. You know what I mean? Like, just like my life is kind of good. I was a, a combat veteran. I was in an invading year of Iraq. Uh, you know, jujitsu, and then I grew up in Los Angeles and. And so, and then I live in Texas. And, and so like people are like, wow, it's, it's, it's intense sometimes, you know? And uh, yeah, but my, so my parents were divorced, uh, always back and forth separated when I was a kid, but uh, then eventually they lived completely separate sides of LA. So I can go to different parts, but my dad retired and moved to Texas. His grandpa, he was like 33 years stage manager for the Price is Right. And uh, wow. uh, he's got like 30 five 36 daytime emmys like literally because they're given to like as a group like uh like you have daytime uh drama or something like that whatever they call the soap operas because he did the young and the restless the bold and beautiful uh all the cbs television and uh game shows and soap operas on the west coast filmed on beverly and fairfax my dad was there for like 35 40 years and then he worked a little bit at nbc before that so that's my dad's side of life and like uh uh, he was the last of my family to move to Texas originally. And so, cause like my brother's out here, my cousins, my mom, you know? And so like, they all follow, but like, he was the last one. Cause it was like, you know, your grandpa, you got, he retired. It's like, yeah, my kids are at that time. He moved here two years ago. At that time they were six and eight. 
it's like, dude, in 10 years, they're 16 and 18, bro. Like, this is the grandpa years, bro. That, that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's going to be different when they're 18 to 28. They're going to be adults and who knows where they're at. You're not going to have them every day. You can't pick them up from school. You know, now's the time to be grandpa, you know? So he retired and uh, moved out to Texas. So we got big plans coming up and uh, it's always fun to hang out with him. Anybody who's ever met my dad knows he's down there. He's a fedora wearing, earring kind of awesome dude. You know, at AGF sometimes he he does the podium uh, or he'll work the front, but uh, people don't. He doesn't he doesn't dress too flashy at that uh, at that point. But he's always been that charismatic kind of guy in my life for sure. My mom's the complete opposite. <laughs> Man, when did you get your start in jujitsu? Uh, 14 years old. Um, I started with a guy named David Dunn. He's now like a four stripe, uh, John Jock Machado black belt. All the dudes I trained with in Cali were John Jock Machado black belts. I trained nice. with Eddie, Bro, Jamie Walsh, who I ultimately got my, uh, black belt from and David Dunn. They're all like three, four stripe John Jock black belts. And, uh, yeah, man. I mean, <sighs> That is different too. I have a lot of talks with a couple of my guys about it. Um, I have a few guys that have trained since like the early 2000s and late 90s and stuff, you know, that had trained martial arts a lot. And the game is just so different. Like I tell people when I first started, everything was strike based. Like you're talking, I think it's 90. Uh, seven, I believe, ninety-eight was the first king of the cage. I went and I went to the first king of the cage. No joke. I still got the T-shirt, and Chris Brennan fought Joe Daddy Stevenson in it. And wow. now Chris Brennan's my coach in Dallas. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, <laughs> man, man, that is that is OG. I used to love watching Joe Daddy fight. Man, he was a yeah. Chris Chris Brennan uh uh fought Joe Daddy Stevenson, king of the cage one in california there's a trip uh yeah. anyways and so everything was strike based it was like a triangle came from like a dude punching you in the guard and you blocked and then overhooked controlled his wrist shot a triangle it was it was stuff based like that you know uh it was very different i think that's why my in terms of jujitsu instruction and students you know because you, you every every jujitsu gym instructor and affiliation has their own subculture you know what i mean and so uh uh, mine has uh, the MMA guys have always liked me, but I've always had the MMA guys that were still willing to put on a gi once a century. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That uh, I totally understand that some gentlemen. Uh, I have a few guys for me now um, that have fought in the UFC, let alone mm -hmm. like I see in Bellator and all those other organizations as well as well as amateur. You know, and so. Um, they all, I understand that, man. It's more than just, oh, he needs to wear a gear and, and to get his rank. Like, nah, bro. Like, I know his wife and kids. I know this dude's trying to make rent. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're adults here. This guy's literally, this is what he does for a living. Like, so I understand people who train Nogi more uh, because of a profession and because of, uh, you know, their entire, if, if your goal is MMA, then jujitsu is an aspect and a tool of that. You can't command people like to be Jose Aldo and Cabrinha. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you can't. Yeah. You can't. So like if you're using that as a tool and cool, you know, just like anything, you're a teacher, you know, you come at me and you're like, 
Uh, you know, he doesn't mind competing every few months or something, but, you know, he's a cop or something. I'm like, all right, well, this dude is going to use jujitsu in the next month if he's a regular PD officer. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, you know, like, whatever people's reasoning for it, and I think some of my – but I have a massive intrigue for, like, modern jujitsu and bolos and worm guard and everything. You know what I mean? And so, like, the guys that uh, – like the gi side or whatever, you know, like, you know, we have fun with that. You know, I go through my own phases too. So, you know, um, I don't, I have games that I naturally do like rolling, but in reality, I'm such a nerd when it comes to studying. Like I, 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 I am an incredible studier. A long time ago, Mark Lehman put out a video on studying like in coaching and like how to study people and stuff. And now, now you got it all break down in videos and stuff like that. But, um, uh, I, I definitely think that there's like a major responsibility as a coach as well too. Cause I could, I have, a, I have an association. And so like, I can't have like a complete hole in my game and have somebody underneath me. I just feel like that's a responsibility that I need to like, I you know, is there going to be dudes that are better than me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, are they uh, in an area? Like, let's say Worm Guard, right? Let's talk Worm Guard. I've taught that at the last two of my annual camps, right? Still got MMA fighters there or something like that. And it's like, we're just aware of this. We understand this is what's going on. We need a basic entry. We need a couple. We need to understand because every game has a push-pull. So we need to understand the one, two, three combo that's going on. We, ne we need to understand the basic concept of the position and, and the tie-ups. And then, you know, if you so choose to want to go down that wormhole, we can go down that wormhole. If you, if you don't ever want to pull worm guard again, that's, that's fine. But it won't, you, the first time you see it won't be the first time that you want to beat somebody and they're putting it on you and you're clueless. Dude, you the first what? time I got put in worm guard was the very first AGF Arkansas. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think of who did it. And I want to say that Levi was the ref. And I wasn't even aware that I was in it because, like, I'd gone back down into his closed guard somehow, but he had, like, my gi under my leg, like, my lapel. And he was like, no, 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 no. Hold on. He had your grip. Like, like puts me back in warm guard. I was like, dude, I didn't even realize this was happening right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> for you to be able to restart it back with him having that grip, that was impressive. Oh, Levi is my – I can't say enough about Levi Miles, dude. He's he's uh, every person is their own. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in terms of personality, uh, jujitsu style, all that kind of stuff. But that dude, I taught him as much as I could possibly teach him. He knows everything that I know. Almost, you know what I mean? Like if I go down a wormhole, he might not know something there. But like in reality, like all of my half guard butterfly leg locks, Doris game, back attacks, like every all hardcore game, everything that I can do. Um, and teach. If I were to just throw out a red, I'd like take the back from deep half guard. He would teach it exactly like I would. Like you know, like but he'll have his own flair and stuff. But in terms of the overall technique, he he just he wouldn't screw up. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's very technical, dude. And so uh, he was one of my best refs as well. Uh, it's funny. I just did a, a podcast with uh, Bruno Bastos on, on the AGF podcast. And he was my coach for nearly three years and when he was in Dallas at, at Octagon MMA. And, uh, and I was saying, man, that's some of the reason that I'm so organized uh, at AGF 
of course we have, you know, the times and stuff like that, but also why we know the rules and people come to me, know the rules. And I'm like, man, I'm not, a, I'm not like, I haven't been to 10 IBJJF ref courses. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just know the rules because like Bruno beat them into us every day. He, I never had been around a coach in my life that had explained the game so much. You know, explain the game hardcore and not just, hey, this is two points and this is four, but he would have mentality. He would have, you know, out of bounds, like we knew all the specifics, you know, and then having all the right grips because people are going to cheat, you know, a little bit of a turn of an overhook or a better grip or a clamp or three more inches on that lapel that wasn't really there. Now it's like cutting off my blood compared to it was perfectly fine to escape, you know. So people are going to cheat their grips on the reset. We got to assume that that's why we yeah. don't, that's why we don't reset in a submission. And we award two points in the middle is because uh, we can't. And then the explosiveness that's going to happen to catch the sub, it can become more dangerous than maybe where it was controlled when it was swept and caught. You know what I mean? Are you guys the only ones doing that rule? I, I like that rule. I like. Yeah. No, nah, buddy, that's been a rule forever since for I, could, I couldn't remember. It's like a normal thing for me now, but I couldn't remember who did it first. I, I, I feel like it wasn't always a thing, but maybe it has been. I don't know. Generally, I would say, like, I put a post out the other day, but, like, because there's a lot of people that – there's a lot of uh, – I competed IBJF, like, last time was, like, 2012, right? And I, and I did a dozen of them. I was in Miami, Chicago, Pan Ams, Nogi Pans, we, we did all that stuff when I was training with Bruno, okay? And that was like Team Novo and Yao at that time and, and Bruno Basso. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, there was, a, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of people trying to go to those tournaments, you know what I'm saying? And, and the, difference with, the difference with those tournaments is like there are harsh disqualifications. There are those kinds of uh, – uh, those kinds of uh, – uh, Rules got to be known. doesn't matter what tournament you go to. You got to know the rules so you don't get disqualified. You know what I mean? Like, so that's just part of the game. You will never change a competitor. You know, like if he's a staller, he's a staller. If he's active, he's active. If he's, if he's going to sub hunt, he's going to sub hunt. If he wants to mount you before he sub hunts, then he's going to try to pass your guard for an hour and not chase the sub. He's going to, you know, so like uh, people are still going to be, the competitor that they are, but you got to at least know the rule says, you don't get disqualified and stuff like that, you know? And so we're just about the rules, man. When, when, uh, uh, IBJF started evolving though and changing their rules, right? Cause they were a pretty solid rule set for a while. And then they started, I would say kind of changing frequently, but also, uh, the game changed. Like they had to start coming up with an answer for the honey hole. They had to start coming up with an answer for certain positions. And, and people, you know, I'm a tournament director, so people are going to talk about all their tournaments a certain way in front of me. I'm like, bro, like, I, I, I was around more tournaments. I still coach other tournaments. You know, I was going to compete fight to win pro. I mean, I love Seth and, 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 the, and the promotion, but there's nothing wrong with other tournaments, you know. And the IBJF, to me, personally, is the gold standard in terms of business, size, uh, following, uh, money i mean they're the, they're like well i want to be making what they're making <laughs> let's get real right but uh so people's opinions change about uh, you know the i've always liked them as a business role model right and organizational wise chris and i have also uh, carlino and i have both competed in the IBGF. 
he actually won blue belt IBJJF Munich. He competed out of country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he but, was uh, just on the podcast. I forgot to ask him about. Um, I knew he competed in Europe a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, I I don't I don't know how much he did. He, he doesn't maybe once or twice a rank he he competed, but he you know uh, I forget exactly where he was a student of mine uh, until purple. Uh, uh, and so anyhow, um, uh, yeah, I forgot where we're at. Um, oh, what were you saying? You, you just mentioned rules. him competing in Munich, IBJJF rules. Yeah, the, the IBJJF had altered its rules a little bit. Like the Sumigeshi, I made a post about that recently. The Sumigeshi is, uh, I remember I had, that when they, the head on the outside, they changed that. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I'm like, that never, that, that never, became illegal when the IBJF made that illegal you know like there are certain things are generally though because you were talking about being out of bounds with two points generally though the gi rules the positions the sweeps they're generally the IBJJF right the only thing that I would think that is different than the IBJJF is we don't have advantages obviously for positional points right so we don't have a near guard pass advantage we have advantages only for sub attempts I personally would like to change the rules a lot, but I, you can't ever get – my personal opinion of jiu-jitsu, you can't get in the way of business, but also there's so many people that believe so many different things. You have this one guy who's going to totally think it's about sub-hunting and tapping your opponent. You got this other guy that will not bring his gym if uh, – and he brings 60 people to me, but if we make it to where we give one point for a sub-attempt instead of an advantage, he won't bring his gym anymore. Uh, you know, you get stuff like that. You get, you get, uh, uh, I have my personal, like, I, like one of the rules that I hate is neon belly. That is the most ridiculous two points in the sport. Like for real, it is. Think about the other two point take, uh, uh, take down sweeps, take down sweep. Right. And those are both super duper hard, you know, like, and there's two ways to take down or to sweep because sweeps and takedowns a lot of people when I explain it to refs are the same thing in my mind. I either have to put you on my back or I have to take you down to all fours and get to your back. doesn't mean I have to be on your back, but I have to be at your hips or seatbelt or whatnot. Like, so like if I'm in bottom butterfly and I arm drag you and I come up and I, and I have your hips and you're in turtle, I still get two points for coming up on the, uh, as a sweep. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with takedowns. I can either, do a single leg and drop you down, or I can do a single leg and you go on all fours and I jump on your hips. Like so, sweeps and takedowns. I I, I teach the rest. So it's the exact same thing. I put you on your back, or I get to your hips around your back, one one way or the other. And uh, those are very difficult things to do. It's difficult to sweep. It's difficult to take someone down. I think that's the some of the most en energy spending in all of jujitsu. And then. Uh, with the least amount of result, right? Like if I take your back, that's a massive result. The energy spent to get that result is way better. And that's why the back is four also, don't get me wrong, is way better than the, the two that it took to get a takedown. <laughs> like I didn't, I don't have a, 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 always a submission position, you know, like stuff like that. There's different theories in that, but like, anyway, so it's like, you know, uh, it's, it, I could just be in side control and pop my knee up and get two points for Neil Belly. It's a cheesy two, you know? Yeah, but and you, then you, you get people strategizing, like, uh, with the 
okay, I'm going to go for the ankle pick, go to the knee on belly. That's going to be four points. So they start stacking. Com- I've seen Lobato and people do that. Like they really, you know, this competitor guys like IBJJF, they really build it into the strategy of these are the things that yeah. go from a sweep to neon yeah. belly. So I do that as a teacher a lot too. I do that as a teacher a lot. I'll explain that a lot when I teach. I'll be like, this is two and four. So that means I scored six. The most you can score in jiu-jitsu is seven with an advantage for a submission. So like, you know, you can pass the guard to mount uh, and, 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 and get an advantage for something. Maybe you were doing a guillotine half guard pass and you passed into mount and then you lost the guillotine. That would be the highest you could score in all of jiu-jitsu. No matter what. Uh, major rule set that follows the basic two, three, four, and advantage for subs. That's the highest you can score. And then six is a pretty common combination: sweeping to mount, or uh, uh, you know, takedown to mount. Uh, that that kind of stuff. You know, so uh, sweeping to the back or whatever. You know, so six is six has happens more often than seven. Yeah, man. Like, when did you when did you start getting into competing yourself and like? you know, ultimately, which has led you down the road to being like one of the biggest tournament organizers in jujitsu. Like, but what started, like, I remember the, one of the first things I ever heard about you, I saw you just snap a dude with a leg lock before I perceived leg locks to be cool. And <laughs> some, somebody was like, that's Brandon quick. He's the third best leg locker in Texas. <laughs> like I remember somebody's like like a few people said that about you for some reason. I don't know where it came from or if it's a joke or what. That's but funny. I've never heard the third best. I've never heard the best or the third or anything. I I uh, I, I will say this though. So I've I've always competed. I've never gone. I, I I'm 38, so I'm I'm not like uh, I don't claim to go be doing 20 tournaments a year. You know, um, uh, I have never I haven't skipped a a year of competing since I was in the military. So like, and you're talking 2005, six, you know what I mean? So like, um, uh, I've, I've always competed. Um, I've always had a little bit of injuries here and there though, you know? So like I, September through December, I had freaking 62 total fluid ounces on my knee. I ruptured my bursa sac. Oh. I saw three months. I know everyone's complaining about Corona and I'm like, I did double this like three months ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And wow. I did have, I did actually go to Europe and teach. I just never stepped my right knee down on the mat. I taught like six seminars and, uh, and ran an AGF. Uh, it was a trip, but anyhow, so I've gotten little injuries here and there. I've never had major surgery. Got really lucky that I don't, I never had to have like ACL surgery or shoulder surgery or something like that. But I have uh, had little, you know, tweaks and five percent tears, ten percent tears. Uh, you know, both knees. I, you know, I've got like twenty four years of jiu-jitsu on me, so like it's a lot um, that my body has has. I can feel it. You know, like yoga helps stretching out, helps lifting a little bit of weights, helps. Um, I just got back into that and lift weights for like a decade. I just did a lot of jujitsu, and so uh, yeah, man. And so like. I just compete when I'm healthy and I go, all right, I'm not going to be injured for a little bit, you know, <laughs> try and get as much in as you can in the next three months or something. You know what I mean? And, it, and uh, cause I don't like to go out there and compete broken just to do it. I don't want to be mangled, bro. And walking around like, you know, like some dudes are really mangled from jujitsu because they pushed it too far. You know, like if I was a younger competitor and my goal is to be a world champion, I would train my ass off. You know, 
But uh, I do train a lot in general, like pre-quarantine, you know, sometimes I'll train twice a day. Sometimes I train three, four times a week, you know, but like I'm definitely not just going a week without training. You know what I mean? That's, that, that's, that's definitely. And so, um, yeah, I like to test myself and stuff, but I compete, but man, I don't consider it. I don't consider myself Mr. Super competitor. So I've done some fight to win pros. I've done AGS and IBGS. I've competed local stuff uh, in California and uh, Colorado when I was in the army, uh, you know, but uh, uh, never won pans or worlds or anything like that. Uh, did find out that I'm really good at teaching jujitsu and um, putting it in a systematical format. I would definitely attest that to like Eddie Bravo and John Jock system, David Dunn, Jamie Walsh's original John Jock Machado black belts uh, taught in two week segments. So like I still do that a lot as well too. I'll teach a subject matter for two weeks. And in terms of like, say I'm doing butterfly guard from the bottom, we'll attack that for two weeks straight. The ins and outs of it though, you know, so sometimes I'm coming from half guard and I go to butterfly guard and then I sweep. I could do an arm drag from butterfly guard and take your back and go into a choke. I could do a lateral drop that turns into a hook flip and then we're doing side control stuff. So you can go around the genre of butterfly, but it all touched butterfly in some way. Or you can completely just play, hey, we're just playing butterfly and half butterfly and staying real hardcore in this zone. So, you know, you, you know, and it depends on the techniques and the genres that you're doing, but I've always felt that that was good. I've never felt that it was good to, and it was good to have names and make your students memorize things. And because when I'm hollering something out at you at a tournament and you don't know what I'm talking about, then why am I even there? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, for real you should know what an omoplata is you know like you don't have to know what every dead orchard arm bar go go plata you don't have to know every single thing outside of the box should you be aware of all that stuff for sure but also different things are named differently different regions and different organizations and the instructors so like but so what is your instructor what is your instructor calling so that's what you should know <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean and so uh uh yeah, and so I like the organization that way, and I've always presented it that way. And so people have really liked that because there's been a lot of people that especially I found in other countries, outside of the U.S. especially, um, that teach an armbar and a guard pass. And the next day they take a back take, and the next day they teach a delahiva sweep. And they, so they're very disorganized and – uh, not put into a format. I mean, this is why I think that the spearhead and the probably millions of dollars that the Gracie Academy has made off of the online training, mm. you know, tens of thousands, hundred thousand people have a paid subscription for how much for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, but you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that like, this is why, you know, people started seeing that, you know, there was a lot of people out there training, self-taught i mean let's get real a lot of people are self-taught these days you know what i mean like unless you went every day with that instructor white through black belt learned everything from him there's a lot of people who start teaching and they go through the ranks at a distance and there's a massive difference training with somebody every six months compared to training with someone six times a week 
Yeah, you know? for sure. That was one of the things actually Cora asked me to ask you about is like, because I mean, we deal with that. Like we're in Russellville. We have instructors, coaches, affiliates. We train with people. I trained Bruno Basio six months ago. Like we, we bring people in. We get do private lessons. We, we learn all the time. But what are some things that you do that are just like a part of your method? Like, hey, this is how Brandon Quick's going to keep getting better at this. Well, first of all, I <clears throat> humility. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta know that you're, you don't know it all. You know, and so like, uh, you know, I'm not the best at everything. It's, uh, and you have to always have that mentality in jujitsu and stay the student. So I go to seminars. I do private lessons with other, uh, whether it be high level dudes. Sometimes I'm like, you know, what? who's got the best clock choke in DFW, you know, and like, and I'll do a private with that dude. Um, uh, training with people. I have a ton of people that come through the headquarters in Dallas, uh, because we have guys who fought in the UFC and, and because we have uh, half a dozen black belts there on any given day, um, we get a lot of people to come through for multiple reasons. The fighters, me, uh, wrestling season with Bedford. He was a, uh, an All-American. He, he also wrestled at Cleveland State. He's a D1 wrestler who fought in the UFC. So, like, he's the current bare-knuckle 145 champ, Johnny Bedford. And so, like, uh, you know, people come through for other reasons besides just me, but then I'll get a lot of people. Oh, today we got Kamal Usman's brother. Today we got this dude from it. And it's not to name drop people at all. We have, you know, but it's, it's, so you get, you get fresh looks a lot, you know, so, which is great. Sometimes you don't always have to travel. Now I train with Chris Brennan in Frisco, which is like North, North Dallas. And I'll go over there and it's a different group of people, you know? And then uh, that's what competition's also for. Sometimes you get good. And you got to go do things in competition or test yourself competition. Uh, but for me, I definitely believe it's like online learning helps. There's so much breakdown today. I can't deny online learning. I mean, there's so much breakdown today that like, it's about time compression, right? Like, so if I'm going to teach Brian, what did, you took a seminar of mine. I did. Yeah. What was, what was it? DPAF. DPAF. Okay, so I'm going to teach a deep half seminar, and you're not going to just get techniques. You're going to get what I know that I've already gone through the process of throwing out the bad stuff and keeping the good stuff in the best positions and reps and combinations and understand the position. And all the time that it took me to train that and do that, because another thing I do is a black belt. It's just something I do personally. I don't write people's names down. I don't write how many reps I complete but I will work my way up blue through black belt when I learn a technique, right? So like if something stops working at purple belt, it's a purple belt move. It's not going to work on black belt. Sometimes you, you want moves that you know in the heat of battle against the person you want to beat at a time you want to win will work. You don't want to, you don't want a maybe, or if it has any, and what I'm not just a maybe, I'm saying if it has an inferiority in it, because of the position or somebody can easily do this or do that, that and it has an inferior uh, crack in that game, then I would throw it out. You know what I mean? I mean, I think there's things out there that will only tap a blue belt, tap a clueless person. Is that, is that good? Yes, because that's the self-defense side of it. You want to know a self-defense technique? I don't go work on my blue through black belt. They all have jujitsu body language when you roll, you know? And so – if I want to, if I learn a self-defense technique from 
Pedro Sauer or somebody. You're not saying that I have. I'm just saying, like, say I learned a self-defense technique from a self-defense guru, right? And I want to go try it out. I'm not going to go try it out on my, my blue and purple belts. They're going to be behaving like they're going to be a deep half guard. There's no deep half guard in the self-defense game. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, so I would go attempt that on my white belts. They're going to headlock me. They're going to they're gonna push on me all crazy and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And so uh, the blue to black belts, I would go through and attempt to attempt that series on them. When it starts working all the way through black belt, and I landed on a few of my black belts for a while, you know, depending on the, the techniques, could be a week, it could be six months. And so I, I consider it valid for myself. But then there's certain things you got to know that are good for big boys. And there's certain things you got to know that are good for flexible people, people that aren't my attribute. That's what I really like about it. Uh, my style for me is like, uh, is my style to me is teacher, for real. Like I learned jujitsu in order to reteach it. I don't learn. I look at I I look at jujitsu, and now it's the next level for me because I have an association and I don't just teach jujitsu every day. I don't actually own a gym anymore. A lot of people don't realize that. I don't physically own a gym. I just have an association, and the AGF is my full time. And so now my position is teach the teacher, you know. And I think the military really helped me with that. They teach the teacher program is nothing but the military. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, a, a captain leads its sergeant, sergeants leads its soldiers. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, you know? And so, like, how do I teach teachers? How do I get them to – some people weren't taught programs. Some people weren't taught about Zen Planner. So, you know, some people weren't taught about uh, uh, write-offs. Some people weren't taught about – about about organizing your techniques just in general you know about adding classes about multiple streams of income stuff like that you know what i mean if you just go out and open a gym because i love jujitsu you're not quite ready to open the gym yeah you should, you should open a gym when you when you've got a little bit of dollars and cents that makes sense and you have an actual plan and approach and business plan and, and and write some things down and be educated about what you're doing and, um, you know, try to, try to run the business. I made a ton of mistakes in the beginning for sure. You know, me too. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. And so just like when you did that deep half guard seminar, you got all that time that I have taken to go blue through black and, and go to deep half training myself. You get that in an hour and a half to three hours. You get the best of what I got, you know, and so now I'm trying to do that as an association and AGF as well, just all aspects of life. You know, eventually, once you get better at something, then you, you try and give a better product. Yeah. Man, when, uh, when did you decide to start the AGF? Like, what made you kind of decide, like, okay, let's, let's do this? Like, you were just sitting around thinking about it and you took action? Like, Yeah. yeah. I moved to Cali in two, or from Cali in 2007. <laughs> to uh texas there's a small town my brother's church actually uh replanted over in a city called uh red oak which is next to waxahachie it's like 20 20 minutes south of downtown dallas okay and i was uh i opened i opened a gym there long story short i opened a gym there august 2000 august 15 2007 and then uh uh, uh what was it march March 1st, 2008, six months later, is when I opened my doors, okay, and had my first gym, and 
uh, we did a lot, man. And so I think in 2008-ish, don't quote me on the exact months and years, but uh, that's when Chris Carlino uh, walked in my doors as a student. He got introduced uh, uh, to jiu-jitsu by seeing it and that kind of stuff and then, and then came into my, you know, looked me up and came into my gym. And we were friends and he was in the tech side of the industry already, that kind of stuff, right? And uh, man, we did a lot together. We did uh, iPhone applications. One of the very first dudes on iTunes market, bro. A lot of people don't realize that. It's called Killer Apps. Yeah, he just he he mentioned that on the podcast the other day, killer apps. Yeah, and like so, like you know, I just used my technique and 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 at that time popularity, I had just done DVDs and stuff, and uh, I was flying around teaching seminars everywhere, and I, we used we used that combination to team up together, and he wrote the app, and I did videos, and we did nine videos. Actually, Pete Wilhelm did one of the videos. He did one too, right? And uh, uh, it was on his. I think his was on Delhi, but anyways. Uh, I was run, at that time painting a picture. At that time, I'm running around refing every weekend. Levi Miles is like an orange belt, you know. Like uh, I'm I'm running around uh, the state of Texas, especially Houston. A lot at that time was the jujitsu scene. Sometimes in Dallas, but I was refing. We'd compete. Uh, I'd make a couple hundred bucks for the day or whatever, and then we'd drive home. Like that was it was me, Levi, and Garrett Miles, and Levi's dad. <laughs> like for four or five years, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we just put in that, that time doing that. That's another reason I got good. Uh, I refed everything. I became a Naga ref. Um, I refed uh, for sets, regular fight to win uh, tournaments instead of the, not the pro, but the regular tournaments he had in Texas. Um, everything, man. So many different tournaments out here. It's unreal. But uh, so I, I refed a lot and uh, that was like, that was my thing. That was my extra cash you know as an instructor it's like i'm teaching you got private lessons you can ref uh what else can i do i can fight mma uh you know what else are you gonna do okay uh i can have someone teach kickboxing and offer kickboxing classes uh i can have someone teach yoga i mean the typical path that new mma slash martial arts bjj whatever school owners go through you know what i'm saying but especially bjj i could ref and stuff like that make some extra money you know and uh then I was like, all right, I'm going to try and put on my own tournaments. And so I put on King of the Mats in Texas. And it was at UTA, University of Texas, Arlington. And it was at the college. So I did a couple of tournaments. And then I had done another one called New Waza Fights. That was an OG one. It was really good. I had Bruno Bastos versus Tusa. Bruno had done a flying armbar on him at ADCC Trials in Brazil that I had seen on Facebook. It's one of the reasons I was fans of, uh, a fan of Bruno. Uh, so, and, and at that time, Tulsa was like a three-time world champ. Um, and then I had Daniel Almeida, his nickname is Jacare, not the Jacare from UFC, but uh, it's one of Bruno Vassos' black belts. Uh, he went against Daniel Pinheiro, which is like where Cola Body, has got a flow grappling documentary on that. Like, it's where like Cola Body was out of. That's where uh, Tiago Macedo is from. That's where uh, Manuel Hibamar and Natalie De Jesus were at, you know, so like there's a lot of uh, studs that come out of Rodrigo Pinero's in San Antonio. So those two did a super fight. And then that dude that I was partners with at that tournament, he was just a white belt that I that came into my school a couple months later. He, he saw what I was doing with tournaments and uh, wanted to help, you know, be a part of it and make some money on his own. So he was my partner for that. He actually ended up getting busted for fraud on his side of the, not the tournaments, but just like, 
whole bunch of other stuff. Like he was fake check writing and all kinds of stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, I was lucky because I had started to catch wind of some of that. And I got super mad at him, had a blow up uh, at an IHOP meeting in Cedar Hill, Texas. And I went home on the way home. I took myself off the bank account. I was like, screw you. I'm not in business with you no more. You know, like, uh, and uh, just, he was, he was coming short on checks for a bunch of people. And I was like, what, right? This is embarrassing. You can't do this. You'll make a bad name for yourself, you know? And so we made sure all the checks were paid. And then I was like, you know, I had a big glove with him. I was like, we can't do this in the future, bro. I'm sorry. I'd rather just do it without you. I've already done a successful tournament. You know, I don't need you. And then uh, took the, uh, took the name off the, off the account. And then he actually went and wrote hot checks and forged my name. And that's one of the ways that he got caught when he got, and but not really caught, but a red flag raised. And then he got, that made him get investigated. He got busted for all kinds of stuff. It was crazy. So I was like, man, he actually ended up going to jail. It's a crazy story. And, uh, and he, and then and people knew him. He was a student, a guy in the community, you know what I mean? And then, uh, uh, but I was totally clean of it. I had nothing. I, had nothing, I, was, I know you. Would, I would have gotten in trouble with it because it was federal. You know what I mean? Mm. It was uh, fake check cash writing. They got them for uh, RICO, orga organized RICO. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so yeah. RICO law. Crazy side story. I'm clean of it, so I don't care. I'll tell the story. I'm not embarrassed of it. But uh, uh, he had people in different check cash writing facilities. In different states, in different cities, Dallas, Austin, Houston, Shreveport, Louisiana, Oklahoma City. And they knew that he was writing hot checks. And so they would be the one to cash it for him, right? And they would get a piece of it. So you had all these people in different check cashing facilities that were connected in different states. And then he had got caught 10 years prior for like credit card fraud and, and uh, uh, check cashing, whatever, that kind of similar stuff. 10 years prior. So what, which makes it, if you do it 10 years prior, that's how they can make it uh, under the RICO act. And he got popped and went away, dude. It was crazy. It was It was like, what? I didn't know anything about him like that on that kind of a, uh, you can only get to know people so well sometimes, you know, and he was just a white belt student. We didn't hang out and party. And we weren't doing all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't one of those. It was just a dude who saw money in the industry. You know, I had another student help open up, uh, a jujitsu school with me that, you know, that in Cedar Hill that Levi taught at, you know, I've gone into business with several people, you know, and then sometimes you just run into a bad apple, bro. <laughs> you know? Oh, people, man, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. And so, uh, uh, I mean, we've gotten screwed over by tournament organ, or not tournament, but uh, event organizers in Atlanta at AGF. Before. Yeah. Chris so, talked about that on, on the show. Yeah. Chris and I do. See, that's the one thing about, thing about Chris and I, we're not, we know we're not going to screw each other over. We've been in business with each other for so long. You know, we, we, we talk Facebook, text, phone call, freaking, when do we get wild hair up our butts about some idea? You know, like Chris is my business partner. You know, like we, we, we argue, we, we do everything. You know, we, we go fly and do weekends in different cities. Uh, we train together. Uh, we're both black belts. Like we definitely, uh, uh, he's my partner. So I don't have to worry about him. I don't worry about Chris at all. I don't worry about him skimming money. I don't worry about him. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. Doing anything. You know, Chris, Chris is a good person to me, you know, and, and he knows that uh, I'm not going to screw him over. And also we do things to, to be organized in the business. He says, he's going to do this and this. I do, I'm going to do this and this. And we both go 
and get them done. You know what I mean? And then, Hey, did you do that? Yeah. And then send it to each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so like you have to do that at a certain point. If you're not, if you're not on point, Chris even got me on an app before that's uh, organizes your Gmails into one conversations that you can have. So I can have conversations with different people about an email within that email and they can't see it, you know, like, so uh, it's not just about hiding, but it's like, say it's a, uh, university in, in, in Nashville, Tennessee. She sends me a contract and she's got a $700 medical fee on there. Chris and I can have a sub conversation and talk about like, Hey, we'd rather use our own medic. Can we ask if we could use our own medic or do we have to use theirs? You know, blah, blah. So we can have these sub conversations and then I can hit reply to that actual person. You know what I mean? So like, mm -hmm. um, you just got to become organized. That's the bigger your business gets the busier life gets, the more organized you got to become. Yeah, for sure. And so, so I was, uh, uh, then I started apps with Chris killer apps. And then eventually we started running enough tournaments that were really successful. We started going out of state to Oklahoma city. Um, we started, you know, expanding and it was like, we should probably rebrand and change this to something more professional than killer apps. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and then that's an AGF just kept going from there and there. And now we got, uh, we got several locations of storage. I didn't listen to Chris's podcast, but did he talk about that or no? His episode's coming out uh, tomorrow or something. Uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he went into some new things you guys have on the horizon. And that was one thing I was going to hit you up about is like, man, I know you guys are a super interesting compliment to each other. And, and, and maybe that's a reason why you get so much done. Like, it's like, you're kind of like a fill in the blank. Like Chris has got this stuff. You've got this stuff. You put that together. It's created this awesome thing, but, and Chris kind of on his, on the show, he talked about some things that he's working on, on his side for the future, mostly like customer service related stuff about just yeah. making things more efficient. And I was like, man, I get that. Like just some of the things he was saying about how uh, things he's putting in place that are going to reduce, like people are basically going to be like, fill out a form. This is my name. This is my belt. This is my turn. Like before that, the digital ping pong, man, I'm playing that with students right now so much because it's online teaching, but he went into some things that he's working on. What are some things you're working on about for the future of AGF? Man, that's interesting that you say that because Chris and I did a podcast with each other right when all this quarantine started. And basically we talked about all that. We talked about, you know, some of the background app slash software that Chris has got going on in the background. And I'm like, we didn't even talk about what I'm doing, what we're doing with the business. You know, like there's a, there's a, there's a certain level of secrecy that Chris and I keep out of embarrassment. And what I mean by that is I don't want to say we got AGF Poland coming up. And then we don't have a facility secured or something's got to change and blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, we shouldn't have said we got AGF Poland coming up here or something. You know what I mean? Whatever. So like, uh, we want to make sure that, that what we're doing is it's a hundred percent. Well, usually when something's there or a city's announced or, uh, something like that, that means a lease has been signed, you know? So like, yeah, we're coming to Colorado but, and we're coming to Denver. We're coming in the fall, but it's like, you know, we didn't, we haven't, we haven't put out that we're coming October 19th or something like that. You know what I mean? So sometimes we don't put out a lot of the cities that we're going to and what we're working on. And I'm pretty much completely in charge of the international side. 
Now, Chris uh, helps out with uh, some of the financing and communications and some of the inventory, that kind of stuff that happens with Antonio. He's my guy in Belgium. Uh, he's a Robin Gracie black belt. He's our, he's our uh, uh, tournament director, for, for lack of better words, in, 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 in Europe. So he speaks seven languages. Uh, he's a, he's a, an event organizer and stuff like that. Does, does different things for uh, uh, musicians in Europe. And uh, he's based out of Belgium. Which, so he's in the Netherlands, Germany, France, all that stuff. I mean, it's really not far, dude. You can go all the way to Italy in eight hours. And like, that's nothing to us. We'll do that anyways. To them, it's like the other side of God's green earth. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what? Bro? Get in the car. <laughs> going <laughs> for real man i've driven to california from arkansas it's like 24 yeah. hours well i mean just on a typical like you know we have a storage facility in, in chris's city in waxhatchee texas which is like i said 20 minutes south of dallas so call it dallas texas so if there's a tournament in wichita we're driving five hours there's a tournament in conway we're driving six hours there's a tournament in, you know i mean there's sometimes we got a tournament in montana you're driving 18 you know what i mean like so and then we plan ahead so in case anything happens in the truck but uh Anyway, so yeah, so getting, getting back to the, the original question of what's going on with me. So we have uh, several different plans and it takes a process. Now we've got a little bit of a process we've learned about going international, right? So you have different tax laws and uh, regulations and customs and currency exchange. And, and then, you know, little things to me, little things literally like, a foreign language is the last thing on my list. <laughs> like, I don't care if you speak Chinese, Polish, or French, right? That, and to go run a tournament there, I need to know how much the facility is, blah, blah, blah. At a certain point right now, it's like I'm back to our original point of the tournaments and we were renting mats. A lot of tournaments, when they first start out, they rent mats. So, like, we were renting mats in Europe. We're, this fall, we're supposed to purchase our own. I mean, it's like, thirty thousand dollars or something like that to get eight mats let alone 10 or 12 you know what i mean and so uh logoed out and flexi mats the new way to go all that kind of stuff you know what i mean so like uh yeah so we, we were still renting and uh uh that's part of the process like you know all right do i get the mats over here on that date are there mats available i mean doing a tournament like for example i've got israel in the works right so like Israel, Brazil, we were supposed to be in this summer. We we're supposed to be in Tijuca in Brazil, bro. Like for, like for me, like that's a huge thing to go where worlds used to be for uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championships. You know, I That'd tell Brazil, crazy, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I tell Brazilians that and they're like, oh, you going to Rio? You know, like that, that, it, I think it'll make a big impact to go down there. Um, but some of the negatives of going down there are different too, right? It's four now it's five hey eyes to one American dollar. Like what's the point of us going to Rio, like just to stroke our ego and say we did it? Because like I'm gonna make thirty cents on the dollar, bro. You know? So not even that, twenty cents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so what's the point of doing this? Is it just to go do it? Is it to have a vacation? Do we just say screw it and say, Yeah, it's a cool ass fucking place to go? And we earned it. This is what we do. And we're going to go to Rio twice a year, you know? Uh, you know, so, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at that. You know what I mean? But always it's because what we do for a living that, yeah, we're trying to make financial gain out of it. We all, we both have kids, Chris and I, you know, and it's what we do for a living. And so, uh, like I said, I don't own a gym anymore. 
you know, so I'm all into AGF. Went in a long time ago. And uh, uh, anyway, so Poland is definitely on the radar big time. Uh, two or three different cities, definitely, I should say, or three, three different cities in Germany. Germany is a big country. December, we had France coming up. We already had that facility booked. That was, uh, that's December 5th. We're just leaving that on the books. We don't know if it's going to go through or not. We don't know what France is. We don't know what the market's going to look like. We don't know when people are going to go back training full time, blah, blah, blah. But it's still on the, on the, on the record. Uh, Portugal and Italy are in the, I was already in talks with people in Torino. Bro, I have FaceTime with a facility in uh, Manila, Philippines. I have looked at running, running a tournament in Kuala Lumpur or Singapore. You know, I'm supposed to go out there in August to teach a uh, four or five days worth of seminars. I was going to take my lady out to Bali or Thailand after the seminars in Kuala Lumpur. And well, I'm, I'm like, I got friends there. How much is it to run a tournament? You know, Tom Davey, who's a... Carlos Machado, black belt, YouTube uh, guy. And Tom Davey, kind of tall dudes, tattoos. He's on YouTube a lot. Uh, uh, he's from Australia. I talked to him about running AGF Australia, you know. And Bruno Mendez, the president of Soul Fighters, Chiquinho's brother uh, out of Dallas, he's my connection to Brazil. He was a logistics director for the IBJJF. He's a very organized guy, that kind of stuff. We got our licenses, bank account, all that kind of good stuff for Brazil so we could have the hey eyes. And uh, – this coronavirus put us behind, but I mean, we're supposed to do two the first year and five the next in Brazil. You know, all it is is thought process. Like, okay, we got we got we got Sao Paulo, we got Rio, we got Brasilia, we got Fortaleza, Belo Horizonte. Like, where? What do you want to do? And it was a good it was a good friend of mine named Fabio Costa from Gracie Bar. He's in Georgia. I was in Brasilia, Brazil, cornering Johnny Bedford when he fought Hani Yaya in Brasilia, Brazil, the UFC. I was cornering him and we stayed there a week and went to uh, restaurants and stayed there and out to the club. I mean, you name it. We had fun in Brazil. Uh, and Fabio Costa was very nice. He, he, he was basically our, our uh, I don't want to say tour guy because that sounds cheesy, but I mean, we've been friends ever since. I've stayed at his house in America. He's in Kennesaw, Georgia. And so uh, I, I was talking to him about expanding to Brazil and I wasn't too keen on the fact of going down there for less money. You know, I, I was organizing Lima, Peru before, and it's just like, man, Lima's money is not going to equal to our money. It's not worth it to waste a weekend where we could be in Nashville, Tennessee, or Arkansas, or something like that, making money. You know, um, and then it turns out, uh, uh, Fabio says, you know, why are you trying to be a millionaire with Hey Eyes in America? Why not uh, keep your Hey Eyes, Hey Eyes, and keep your money in Brazil? And I was like. And that has always resonated with me. And so, like, that's, that's what we started thinking. Like, keep our currency that we're operating in. And, the, and that currency, you could pay. One, is easy because you could just pay the bills yeah. and stuff like that. And that. You know, we'd run a tournament in Euro dollars. It, it's good for us because the Euro dollar is more than the American dollar. So we're cashing in off the Euro dollar. But, like, when it comes to AIs or pesos or even the Australian dollar, the Australian dollar is 1.4 to 1 American dollar. So we're losing money by going to Australia. And that is far. Those are it's twelve hours between like Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney. Perth is on the other side. I'm probably not even going to Perth. It's literally California and Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne is like Florida, Georgia, and Washington, DC. <laughs> They're so spread out, the big cities, you know? And so it's gonna be hard to navigate some of that, but it's like 
you know, how much do we want to go swamp that market with 12 tournaments a year when we're not making as much as we make in America? You know, West Coast is another part of our expansion. You know, we don't want to put names out there, but and, and, and what we're doing, like I said, too early, but we got the West Coast coming up. And, uh, you know, we, we potentially would like to be running uh, four to six tournaments in North America on the same day without effect. You know, there's nothing wrong with running one in Dallas and running one in Chicago, running one in New York, running one in Miami, running one in Seattle, one in San Diego. Wow, you know, yeah. Right now we already have, Germany, uh, Atlanta, and Dallas able to happen on the same day. We, Chris and I have been doing double tournament days for, I think, maybe a year now, something like that. You know, and that's where we're at. Like, I, we talked the other day, and it was like, man, if it wasn't for this – it was one tournament, I think. I mean, it was – oh, because I went and competed in Oklahoma City. I went and competed in Oklahoma City. I wouldn't have seen Chris till like, September, not without intentionally going to his house. Just because I would have gone to a different city or maybe I would have had one weekend off and he would have gone to Phoenix or something and I wouldn't have because I've done two prior tournaments out of state, you know? So like sometimes we'll do tournaments the same day and then sometimes we'll alternate tournaments because of travel and weekend. We both, like I said, we both got kids, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a goal to go worldwide like that, you know, and then have property real estate is the end goal you know, in each one of those countries. And was it, uh, yeah, I think you were one of the first people I remember, and I just completed this book and I'm on the second one, but you, were you one of the first guys I think I remember talking about uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Is that, is that true? All day, dude. All day. Yeah, I, man, I, I've, I'm big into that right now. Yeah, yeah, multiple streams of income. Yeah, uh, have you done more than just the original book? There's like so many books. I thought it was just one book and then I was like, oh, I'm doing financial IQ right now. Oh, yeah. No, I do that as a kickoff. You know, you got to have a home base for people that are getting introduced to it. <laughs> and yeah. So, uh, uh, definitely. So I've done a few, but um, it was a while ago. And that was my, that was my really like my kickoff as to like, you know, if you have one thing that is bringing you money and you lose that one thing, you are screwed. People are learning that lesson right now. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. people are learning that lesson right now, unfortunately. And so, uh, um, you know, that's, that's, what's important, you know, and, and also, and it brings cash. It brings something might grow bigger than another thing. Some people don't realize that sometimes your, your, your side job turns into your main gig and you hit the jackpot, you know? So, uh, uh, like me, you know, I thought I was going to teach until I was 70, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and it's another reason why I really, why I really, I'm plugging this iPad on, uh, it's another reason why I really, um, went towards AGF. I mean, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or anything, but there's a big, there's a big eye opener for me with only teaching jujitsu for a profession. You know, know, like, know, unless you have a boom in school and, um, you know, like, perfect location or something but it's scary to me when I, when, I, when, I, when I really look at it because we're entrepreneurs right so I don't have the I'm a firefighter or a cop pension and the 20-year retirement or even the 40-year retirement like I don't have that like I have to pay for my own 401ks my own savings my own whatever I buy you know like sometimes I have to purchase things 
completely instead of, you know, payments or something, like whatever, you know, like as an entrepreneur, you do life a little bit different than uh, people who just work a steady job, you know, with uh, benefits. And so, you know, that got me thinking a long time ago. And that's why, I, you know, I said I was running around refing. I was, uh, I've done DVDs. I've done apps. The DVDs were the number one thing, were the number one thing to happen to me. That's for sure. The DVDs, uh, they were huge. I don't, I don't you know do those with Budo videos? Yes. I've done, I've done a couple sets with Budo videos, though. I'm uh, trying to have uh, Budo Jake on the podcast. He knows my buddy Jack, and uh, I reach out to him. I'm waiting to hear back. Oh, he's definitely a personal friend. I can text that. But, um, yeah, man, that's what really sent me around teaching uh, uh, was those DVDs and some of the apps. But, yeah, 2007, I started teaching in Trinidad, and that was based off of meeting a gentleman in Los Angeles that I was training Krav Maga with. And uh, so that was one rare instance where the DVDs in the beginning uh, DVDs don't always bring me somewhere now, you know, but in the beginning, that was one of the rare instances that the DVDs didn't bring me somewhere. So, and there was a few countries that I taught in, no beef, no drama, nothing like that. But like I taught there for three to five years, you know, every three months, six months, a year, you go in and you teach, you know, because maybe I'm not, I'm not the affiliate uh, owner. I'm not, you know, like maybe they're, Maybe they're a different organization, you know? So, like, I'm not permanently connected to that school, you know? There's a few places I taught, man, that were, like, amazing. I cherish that time, and I just don't necessarily go back there anymore, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, I really, I, really, uh, I really enjoy travel. I think it's changed everything about me mentally, uh, politically, spiritually, emotionally worldwide human connections like everything for that for me like that is, is, is about that travel where's your favorite place you've gone man i know you've gone all over is there a place you just like i i'm never gonna stop going there you frequent your favorite place to go favorite place you've been well so there's i get asked that a lot right especially my students my students uh because a mile down the street is my headquarters where like i said half a dozen of my black belts are and that kind of stuff and uh uh the thing about the thing about the travel is is like what's your favorite part about it with what you're doing are you there for food was it there for the was it like some people like uh, doug Frey is a is a is a, is a mma fighter his his wife fights mma you know what i'm talking about uh, mm -hmm. uh jen you uh phrase is, is his wife uh, she's a female mma fight you might know that your lady fights right and um they like rock climbing and mountain climbing in cold weather and blah, blah, blah. Some people like beaches only. Some people go to Italy just for the food. Some people go for the site. So it's really about like what you're into. And I think in some places I would live at, some places I would just visit, some places are party towns, some people are relaxationville, you know, like so uh, some places are food. Like nobody's got better food than them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I can actual Italian. I can come back and go to all the little dive Italian restaurants and Olive Gardens, or whatever. I do every time when I come back, and it doesn't come close. It doesn't come close. So check this out. Okay, I always like blowing people's mind with this story. Pizza came with Marco Polo from China. 
Oh, spaghetti too. Yeah, like a ton, a ton of food uh, came with when with his interactions with uh, Kubikon. Yes, for sure. But uh, it wasn't. It just wasn't flavored the same. It it was tomato paste. It's changed a lot. It was tomato paste and noodles, and tomato paste and bread, and then you know the Italians got a hold of it with cheese and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, that that was awesome experience going to Italy. I love Amsterdam. We have our European Championships there. Uh, This is our third year there. Fourth year. We've been going to Amsterdam for a while. It's a, it's a really cool town. Um, I liked Brazil. I don't want to live there. I would go back. You know, like uh, my lady, she really likes um, tropical destinations. You know, so that's why we're looking at like going to Thailand and that kind of good stuff. You know, uh, with Kuala Lumpur. Uh, so that, you know, it's just it's just really I, I don't have a favorite place. I like visiting different styles and different places. You know, my headquarters in Europe is Belgium, and it can be cold, rainy, and you walk in it a lot. You know, like it's uh, I've never been so cold in my life training because some of the facilities in Belgium, dude. <laughs> yeah. So in Sweden too, I taught in Sweden. I've been in apartments with heated floors, heated towel racks, heated like we're up in Yavla in San Viken. I taught there for a few years. It's a couple hours north of Stockholm. It's up by the Arctic Circle. You <laughs> sent me a seminar um, of you teaching a deep half seminar there, I believe. Yes, that's a, that's an interesting word. I haven't forgot. It's like G A L V E or something like that, right? Pronounced Yavla. Yeah, yeah. Yavla, yeah, and and uh. Uh, San Vicens, San Vicens is a city right next to it. San Vicens in Texas, it's in Brazil, it's all over the world. I think it's one of the top three steel companies in the world. So, and it's called San Vic, uh, is the steel company. And San Vicens, the city that it's in. So, that's how it got its name. And uh, Yava is like 15 minutes away. And so, uh, I was teaching in San Vicens for a while. And uh, some of the guys there rolled in Yava. And so, I got seminars over in Yava. And so, I taught there half dozen times or something. I don't know. I taught deep path and back attacks and takedowns and spider guard. And all, I taught all kinds of stuff over there. Man, on that deep half, you showed something you didn't show at the seminar I took you for, but like where it's like, it's like the technical stand up, but you stood on their calf. Oh like, yeah. 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 But I've never seen it done that way. And I, I was like, score. Dude, Jamie Walsh, who, he's not famous. He's who gave me my black belt. He, uh, uh, fought King of the Cage. Um, he's you know he's John Jack Machado black belt. He's a stud. His time frame was like I'd say oh two to oh five, oh three to oh six. That was his days where he was real real hardcore in competition as a black belt. But uh, if you ever see Eddie Bravo submit Hoyler Gracie, right in Brazil, and he's walking around, his hands are up, and he goes and hugs that blonde guy. That's Jamie Walsh. Jamie Walsh said he's buddy and training partner, right? Awesome. Anyways, he used to step on people a lot. And John Jocks, he would step on uh, BJ Penn's leg, like, because BJ was so flexible. He was one of the, and now you, and he, that's a, that's a part of his game. He does have to pass guard, and then he steps right into the on belly. He steps right over. He switches. He leg drags. He does all that open guard passing. And now you see the Rotolo twins. Have you seen them doing their leg stepping game? Yes. Yes, that's I exactly, have. That's exactly, if you ask Levi, about stepping on the legs, he would. Uh, I don't do it a bunch, but I've taught it just to repeat what Jamie's taught me. You know what I mean? And then and, and he's come and taught seminars at my gym before too. And uh, that's that's a big part of the game, man. Stepping on it, and so like I've taken that in other places in my game that I've really realized it, 
if they're on their knee and you step on their calf, that you'll stand up first and they won't get up, you know, and you come up into a leg splitting position when you stand. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a beneficial move for sure. Yeah. It's super cool. I, like I said, I'd never seen it, but, uh, you know, thanks for the link. It was like a private or uh, like one of those YouTube playlists. You got to share the link with somebody. And you, after I'd gone to that seminar, you're like, Hey dude, just a little more right here. So, yeah. You know. That's what I know for sure. That's what I, I've always done. Like I have affiliates and, and, and other places and you know they don't train with me every day so we do uh we do the two-week segment you know and, and i have been doing the online passing of information for a while like a, it, it, the coronavirus has got a lot of coaches finally in tune with their students and with their other coaches online you know yeah. uh, uh like so we all we my whole organization gets a curriculum say it's Omo Plata, right we're all doing Omoplata at the same time frame. So we can talk about it, put out videos at the same time. Uh, you'll notice, I don't know if you notice or not, but Maxime, he's one of my black belts. He's all tied up on the face and hands. He's Polish, but he's out of Belgium. He teaches a lot on my YouTube. And uh, uh, he's very active on there. He's, he's a squid, worm guard, gubber guard. He's, he's, he's that guy in the network for sure. Uh, but we, we're connected that way. So all of our minds are working on the same subject matter at the same time. If you're on half guard and I'm on uh, sweeping and I'm on, I'm on mounts and you're, this dude's on guillotines. Like we're, we're, we're on the same team, but we're not on the same wavelength, you know? And so, uh, you know, that way we can talk about it, be about it. And I've been doing that for a while, you know? And so uh, uh, it's unfortunate. Something like coronavirus had to get some coaches to catch up to this, you know, and I'm know, doing man. We didn't do as we don't do as much Zoom uh, pre-corona with my affiliates as we is now that's going on. But uh, you know we've always been connected. We have a private group, and and I give out curriculum. I'm real big on curriculum, and uh, you know staying on the same subject matter. Some people, if we're on Omoplata and your school is a gi dominant school, you're probably going to hold the collar more and do some sleeve setups and stuff like that. And if this school is MMA and um, uh, their concentration is primarily uh, using jiu-jitsu for MMA. They're probably going to do more overhook setups, Yoma Plata, Williams guard, you know, possibly rubber, possibly just regular classic old school, uh, you know, uh, Oma Plata. You know, if you have another school that's going to be, uh, you know, coming up in their advanced class, I'd like to teach them some variations of Omos and stuff like that that they can. But So everyone's on maybe using the general subject, so it's not like you got to teach like a robot with me and you can only teach. Like I'll, I'll give out playlists of videos uh, and I organize them and then I, and then I'll uh, give out suggestions, give out warm up drill suggestions, give out cool down suggestions. Hey, change your warm up drill. Hey, add, you know, like uh, I know it sounds funny, but like add some push ups. Once in a while I'll do that because usually I'm a functional warm up. Do drills like this. If you're going to be doing knee on belly, then do. Uh, spinning arm bars from neon belly is a warm up. Do uh, X passes from open guard to neon belly. Like, do functional warm ups because the average person only comes two, three days a week to jujitsu. They're not, everyone's not a pro grappler. They're not, they're not all in it six days a week like the instructor and just soaking up neon belly for two weeks because their brains are on it and they're teaching it. I'm like, this dude's, this dude's behind the desk every day. This dude's a firefighter. Like, you know, like, so uh, you, if you only got them for an hour, hour and a half, whatever that school teaches, then you need to get after it and not waste your time on running circles and jumping jacks and push-ups and useless exercises for the time. You still need to warm up, still need to exercise, but 
do it with something that has to do with the jujitsu that you're doing, you know? Yeah. Man, at our school, we've been over the last, like right before the close down, we got through four of them, but we started doing the 10th planet warmups. I mean, it's taken us a while to yeah. integrate the eight through, um, like the first eight that they've come up with. But I mean, man, nothing but beneficial in the three, four months we did it. Nothing but beneficial. Yeah. It, uh, it, it connects people. It connects you. You know what I'm saying? Um, it connects the game. It, 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 you have a path. You know, you got to have a path. I've always, I, I teach uh, seminars called like Path to Blue Belt, Path to Gray Belt. Like, like you got to have a direction in the path. You don't want to just learn one part of the game or not connect the part of the game. That's, that's some of the hard part about beginners. They don't know what to do next. Yeah. You know, so like if, if they have a path somewhat and they know what to do next, yeah. they can keep rolling or not get frustrated or not get caught up thinking so damn much. They can have at least, a, you know, even if it's a crappy fight, they can have a good fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for beginners, for sure. But for advanced people, dude, you know, I believe in trap systems. So like trap system warm-ups and drills and stuff like that to me are very important. If you were to come to my class, we are going to do several drills. And we're going to do them in a couple different formats. One is going to be singular technique drills. Okay. And then they pyramid. So like we're going to set it on two minute intervals and we're going to do X passes from open guard. And then the next person goes. And then the next person, when it comes back, they're going to add an arm bar, a spinning arm bar. So they're going to go X pass, spinning arm bar, X pass, spinning arm bar, X pass, spinning arm bar. And the person that is getting the arm bar done to them, they're not just going to throw their feet back up. Like they're going to post on one hand, defend themselves with the other hand, sit in butterfly guard and sit up properly like they should. And the person that's going to do the X pass is going to push your shoulders, push you on your back, and then proceed to X pass. So, like, even within the movements, there's no wasted movements. You see what I'm saying? Some people are like X-Pass, and then, all right, the guy turns and faces. The guy just gets up off of his X-Pass, gets in front of his partner's feet, and does it again. You know? Like, you've got that style of drilling the X-Pass, or you have, like, perfect drilling. You know? You push me down, you come forward, you step in, you X-Pass. And then, and then when, I, when, when you step off me from the knee on belly, I'm going to sit up and sit to butterfly like I should push my shoulders so i think that's a that's a, a little lost gem that people don't do uh you have those two versions of drilling and i think that uh you should have no wasted movements right and so then maybe we do x pass to arm bar and the guy does a uh arm bar stack defense or they can, can keep going down the, the 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 line like that or i can just continue to do stuff from neon belly i can x pass they go to neon belly they keep more i can x pass go to dars i can x pass you you can stay in that game, you know. So we'll do that two to three minute drills back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for a while in my first probably like the first 20 minutes of class or like that with me. Yeah. And so we just drill that quickly. And then I'll break into a technique. And then we positionally fight. That's a huge, huge difference that I see at other schools and that I've been around. I've, I've trained underneath a few instructors and I've been to several classes. I've been around the game a long time. And that is a huge part of positional fighting. If you and I, for example, Brian and I are doing deep half guard and we drill deep half and then we go roll, we could roll five times and never hit deep half guard, you know? And so to force someone to do goal orientated positional fighting, 
really puts them in that game for that amount of time and perfects that area a lot more. This is where defense is going to raise. You'll hear the Dan Herdesquad guys. You'll hear people like John Chalk in the old school, super self-defense, Machado, Gracie type dudes that can escape anything, survive anything, come back and win. You know, you have, you have those guys that both genres speak about how when their defense is really good, you have more confidence to go for things, you know? And so I think defense gets really good in positional fighting. You don't get good defense by you doing six rounds every night after your coach does a funky warm-up. Even if it's a functional warm-up, even if it's the best warm-up in the world and it's connected to your technique, and then you don't do positional fighting ever, you don't really get time in that area. So, you know, I have certain things that are too close to submissions that I don't want people to get hurt, you know? But, I mean, yeah, we'll start from the triangle, we'll start from armbar, we'll start from omoplatas, uh, uh, we'll start on the back. We'll do a lot of pass versus sweep. That's my biggest thing. Like, because I get a lot of visitors uh, at the advanced class that I teach. I teach twice a week over there at uh, Fitness Fight Factory, and I'll get dudes that come through a lot. And that's the biggest, fastest way that I'll expose somebody. It's just pass versus sweep, and you're allowed to take the back. So, I'm on top. I pass your guard, or take the back. If you're on bottom, you can sweep or take the back without subs. I quickly footlock you. I don't really see your game. I can see your actual skill in jujitsu. Sometimes, in my opinion, if I can take out the subs a little bit, I can see if you can actually pass the guard, if you can actually pass, if you can sweep from the guard, or if you're just going to frame and try and stand up out of half guard. All right, this dude's not sweeping. This dude's just an MMA fighter who's just standing up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. all right, pass, pass or sweep. You're not just getting up. So now I want you to sweep, sir. Okay, let's see how you do this, you know? And then they start getting after it, and then. Uh, you start to expose people's games a little bit. Or they're doing the same thing over and over. You see it work. You see it work on a few different people. Oh, damn, he swept me. He swept Levi. He swept this guy. This dude's got a good single X or something. You know what I mean? So you'll be able to see that stuff right away. We do that a lot. And then uh, uh, and we'll do it in different positions. Side control, don't let the guy mount you. Uh, and then top back and sub you to you. Like, we'll do different drills like that. And then there's free rolling. You know, I think that's important. Yeah, man. And we, that was one of the changes we'd made. I just got, I just bought a new uh, facility two weeks before uh, the close down, but our new schedule was just about to start. We were like one week and we we're going to start, but that is something my shift I made. It was like, look, free rolling is after the normal class. Like that's something I picked up on. A lot of people are doing, they're doing like what you're saying in class. And then it's like, yeah, okay. Class is over. See you guys later. Free rolling part of class starts now for everybody that wants to stay. I learned that for the first time when I trained at Gracie Barra Brazil. I didn't realize that Gracie Barra, a lot of the major organizations are like that. They have a full warm-up educational class, blah, 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 even sometimes positional sparring too. And that's that hour and then the next half hour is, is rolling. Yeah, that's what uh, we're, that's what we're going to be doing. I'm excited about it. And they just put on the bell. And there's no ego or questioning or anything because you don't know if this dude has a heart arrhythmia. You don't know if this dude's having a bad day. You don't know if he's just coming back, whatever the case may be. So you can sit out and sit against the wall and not roll or just watch during the rounds. And then you can come back in to roll. So, like, you could roll three or four rounds, sit against the wall, take a break, and come in the next round. And so it's not like a lot of schools where they dictated, like, hey, you roll with this person or, hey, we're all rolling this amount of rounds. So an old dude can take a break if he wanted 
The younger me, the dude in the 20s, when I first owned the school, I would have harped out of like, get on the max. Now I give the older dudes a break now that I'm 38, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, uh, I really I, I really was inter- introduced to that. So you guys are going to go uh, with that format. Do you, do you guys have a all-levels class, a basics class? What do you have? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of like the, the new shift is like, here's the fundamentals class is going to be here. Uh, and then one thing we're going to start doing, I got this idea from Omar, is uh, once a week for all our programs, morning, noon, and night, um, after one of the classes, so one night a week or one afternoon, we're not going to do the, that exact format, but we're going to do like a systems class. Like where Omar is just like, dude, all we're doing right now is Lachlan Giles's blah, blah, blah. Oh, or, you know, yeah. or, or, and man, Omar said he's been having good turnout with that. Um, and I've kind of kept up with him. He's been doing it ever since Donaher's leg locks came out. But that's, that's just like an intensive study of some yeah. advanced stuff. That's it. That's advanced jujitsu. Uh, every time I teach advanced jujitsu for me, though, like I stay on the same genre uh, for a while. Like, you know, like we're doing very Ishida's crucifix system for a few weeks. We're doing rubber guard for a few weeks. We're doing uh, worm guard for a few weeks. We're, so that the advanced class a couple times a week, uh, that's what we stick to. And it's Gi and Nogi too. So they see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're just, I think, getting to the, the size and stage where we can start doing this with our schedule. We're about to have a Cora's about probably nine months away from getting promoted to black belt. And then yeah. we're, we were going to have our first two people promoted to black belt aside from myself. Oh, that's dope. Uh, April 30th. So right. I got I got five brown belts that are that are loaded in the hopper and it's so we're you know we've, we've been around long enough. I opened my school in 2012. Um, yeah, that's So, but yeah, man, it's um, that's exciting. It is. I'm pumped about getting back to it, man. Now that for those people you talked about getting promoted out of your out of your school, they're going to be promoted by your instructor. Or did you pretty much teach them the whole time? I taught him the whole time, but for the for this batch, I will bring in my instructor to promote him, which is Danny Dream. Just um, I'm getting my first degree sometime. I'm, I've been a black belt for over two years, so I assume my first degree will come sometime in the next year. And you know, we'll we'll ha- like the next crew after these initial five, uh, we'll we'll probably be handled differently. But who knows? You know, I'll, I'll see. Yeah. Like it's going to be a couple of years at least, probably before we do another promotion. Yeah, yeah. I did first. I did my first five on the same day. Nice. Well, you know, with the shutdown, we may end up doing that. Yeah, I was just. It was just lucky. You know, everything is completely timing and stuff like that. You know. Uh, Derek Krantz, he's a pro MMA fighter that uh, is in the UFC. He fought on the same card with Cora one time at Legacy, uh, and he got his eye poked super bad. Oh, yeah. He's got over 50 MMA fights. Uh, He's a stud dude. I've cornered him in his his title fights in in the LFA as well, too. Uh, uh, He's held the belts for two different weight classes for LFA before going to the UFC. But I gave him his jiu-jitsu ranks. Uh, and Evan Cutts, who's another MMA fighter and uh, black belt, Johnny Bedford, he's the bare knuckle guy I told you about, and, and fought in the UFC as well. And Levi Mowles, uh, who we talked about earlier, and then a black belt of mine named Donnie Blue. Uh, he's a, a black belt in San Antonio. He's a, he's a current airman in the Air Force. Uh, he's a police officer in the Air Force. He's run the school down there, and uh, he's got the best kids team in the network, that's for sure. 
and uh, they were my first five black belts. And nice. so, uh, yeah, uh, that was that was really cool. And then every six months after that, almost. <laughs> it's been how, how many do you have now? Like thirteen or something? Did I see? Correct, but uh, eleven that I gave you to. Okay, nice. I got, nice. I got, two, I got two in the network that are uh, uh, they were black belts, and they they switched flags and and uh, uh, moved from where they were at, and then joined up. Yeah, so that, like, that that happens, man. Um, somewhat recently, Justin Raider joined our team. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I know, huge. So, um, what a great dude to be able to hang out with at team events, right? Yeah, for sure. I just did a podcast with him uh, four or five days ago. It's out already. You can check it out. Uh, yeah, cool. I'm gonna hit him up to come on mine too. Uh, and then yesterday, I was talking to Nate Murdoch. You know. Uh, from Northwest Arkansas, and he was like, "Bro, you got to have Johnny Bedford on the show. I want to yeah. listen." To that. So dude, I'll probably, I'll Johnny, probably is a, Johnny is a character too, dude. He's an awesome guy to talk to. He's uh, I, I tell people all the time, I'm just glad he's on my side. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like of, of just the the background of experience, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. Uh, before training with me, he was training with Alan Moeller. This is the first uh, American black belt out of Alliance, right? And then, and then he got his black belt from me. Uh, I cornered him alone. He's been in more fights. He's got over 50 fights as well, too. But I cornered him in Abu Dhabi, UFC Abu Dhabi, Brazil, uh, San Antonio, who's on the Ultimate Fighter show. My other black belt, Lynn Bentley, was on the Ultimate Fighter show. Uh, but but uh, Johnny also wrestled at Cleveland State, same years as Stipe Miocic, who was his wrestling teammate. Uh, uh, grew up, he's grew up out of uh, Toledo, Ohio. Um, but that dude's got hands, bro. Like, if you ever meet him, he's got some gnarly knuckles. His face is all scarred up. He's got a lot of MMA fights. He's got high cheekbones like me. So we, we take those on the cheek pretty bad a lot, you know, and the eyebrows. But, uh, uh, man, he's fought ever since I've known him, you know. He, he came to Texas fighting. And uh, uh, I was business partners with him for a long time. He's the one who owns the majority of, of the headquarters and what I call Blue Jiu-Jitsu headquarters. And so, you know, I, we got half a dozen black belts there on any given class, you know. And, uh, uh, so he's just got a wealth of knowledge. Now he's the current Baron Uncle 145 champion. You know, he's he's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of background and stories and knowledge. He's he's an awesome dude to get to know. You know, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And uh, he actually uh, bought a gym for me, and he's turning it into a second location. And I mean, you know, so he's he's, he's making moves. Uh, it's one of my first five black I Can't say enough about him. Nice. Yeah. Well, man, you got an incredible story, Brandon. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and uh, sharing it with everybody. I mean, I've kept up with you over the years and um, man, you've always treated me nice and it's good to sit down and uh, just chat with you about what you got going on. You too, amigo. I wish you the best, man. And uh, Likewise. Uh, send me the link. I'll start checking out some of your prior podcasts and stuff like that. And uh, For sure, man. For sure. I just had Daniel O'Brien on. It just posted today. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, he entered the uh, tournament blindfolded like a year and a half ago. Um, he's from Alabama, trains with Brandon McCatherine a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he's a pretty wild dude. One pants is a brown, third degree black belt now. But um, Carlinos will post this week. But yeah, man, I appreciate the support. And uh, once I get this one edited and uploaded, I'll shoot you the link. Cool. Sounds good, man. I hope you, uh, you and the lady at least get some training in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for, I, we're good. We're probably going to be one of those uh, baby boomer statistics for the next baby boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, watch out. There's All right, man. Divorces and some people getting babies, bro. It's one or the other. <laughs>
Oh, man. Well, bro, I appreciate you again. Um, take it easy, Brandon. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Here we go. Hey, man.